0: I'm Christopher Calloway, and this is Creator Talks, the show where I interview writers and artists working in comic books and other mediums. As we take up our path in life, we meet people along the way that turn out to be our teachers and mentors. My guest, Rob Jones, has been taught by and mentored by some of comics greats. Rob learned from Brian Stelfries How to Color and interned with Dick Giordano. Rob has worked on comic books, children's books, book covers, and the occasional newspaper strip. He's also the 2018 image-winning campaign for the Library Foundation of Sarasota County in Florida. And we're going to talk about what exactly he did. Rob currently has a Kickstarter running through April 3rd for the second of his three-issue series, High Spot. It is the story of a stunt performer, Kate Carter, who loves adventure and archaeology. In issue 2, Kate and the gang are on their way to find the remains of Alexander the Great. Why does Rob reference Theodore Roosevelt as a heroic model in the series, and why did he work Alexander the Great into the story? We also talk about his other comic book collaborations on Strong Will and Mine, plus Rob discusses how other creators who paid it forward inspired him to do the same. We close out our discussion kicking back with the creator to learn more about Rob. This interview is brought to you by The Comic Book Shop at 1855, Marsh Road at the Plaza 3 Shopping Center in Wilmington, Delaware. Zip 19810, where comic books are for everyone. Just be nice. So join me with Rob Jones as we discuss his Kickstarter for Highspot No. 2 and his other work. Here now, on Creator Talks. Rob, welcome to Creator Talks. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Not so far, so good. That's the spirit. That's optimism. <laughs> <laughs> I always say it's early in the day, it could change. <laughs> Let's see how it yeah,
1: goes. Exactly. Like it go downhill rapidly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wow, you know, we first met in person at Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina, one of my favorite cons. Mine as well, yeah. Yeah, I can (laughs) see why. And we were talking about High Spot. I picked up issue number one. And now here we are at last, getting a chance to talk about your work and that in more detail. So, before we get to the Kickstarter for High Spot number two, let's go over a bit more about you and your work in general, and then we'll cover High Spot. Now, you've worked on comic books, children's books, book covers, quite a range of work. Let's talk comics first. You're doing a strip for the Pittsburgh Current newspaper. Tell me about that. Are you the central character of that newspaper strip? I see a resemblance. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, uh, it's me and my wife. We sat around trying to come up with an
1: idea for the first strip. And the joke seemed to be that we were sitting around coming up with these off-the-wall, crazy, silly ideas. I was like, all right, well, just us trying to brainstorm this should be the first strip. And so that's what it wound up being. And then just she says all sorts of crazy awful things from time to time. <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, it's like the, the fountain of inspiration over there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is the foundation for a good marriage between people. <laughs> a good sense of humor you can riff off of each other. I think that's really important. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. I don't know how she puts up with me, but it works out okay. Now, how did you get the gig, having that go into the Pittsburgh Current Newspaper? A friend of
1: mine uh, named Andrea Shockman, she uh, is also from Pittsburgh, and she got a strip from the very beginning, and I just emailed her and said, hey, do you know, they're still looking for people. And so she got me the contact info, and they wrote back and said, yeah, do something up. And so I sent them the first one, and they're like, okay, yeah, no, that works. Keep going. They're <laughs> so like, oh, crap, now I have to go <laughs>
0: What do you have planned going forward for the strip? Have you and your wife worked out a kind of like a long-range outline of where it's going to go? Or you just each week say, hey, let's riff on some stuff and see what we come up with? They
1: had originally told me they wanted just like a one-off strip. And then like, okay, well, I'll do a one-off strip. And then I did another couple of one-off strips. There isn't really a through line except for the fact that it's the two of us. So, yeah, I, I, we haven't really planned much out. It's whenever she says something funny or I say something funny or something funny pops up on TV, we're like, all right. Instead of
0: tweeting about this, let's go ahead and do a comic strip about it. So it's pretty much wide open when you have an idea. You send it in, so you're contributing. And it's one of those things that you can just pick up the paper. You know, you don't have to, like, know a story. It's a good humorous strip. It's in a newspaper. Is it also online? Every issue that they
1: come out with, they have, like, a download of the entire issue. So, yeah, it's included in that. And they don't have it on the website itself, but, yeah, Mm -hmm. in the
0: download of the issue. It's good to get it on the website just because... And I don't like to bring up a bad subject, but newspapers are struggling. We hear that bell tolling louder each day. But, you know, to add value to that newspaper is a strip like yours. That's the kind of thing I think we need to get back in there because there's a lot of bad news and that leads. So it's nice to see something that's fun and that brightens your day because I used to go for the comics first, the newspaper, <laughs> you know, people are like, give me the sports section. And I'm like, where's the comics? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody had their spot, and then you would rotate around. Yeah, all right. Now I'll get the Sports Center. That's right. (laughs) Now, you and your wife are also working on a children's book, Rambo to the Rescue. Now, folks, it's not Rambo who you're thinking of Rambo. No, no. It's about your dog. And tell me about how the two of you came up with the idea to turn your dog Rambo into the star of his own book. Well, we rescued him. Hence the title. We had him for a little while, and
1: we were crate training him. And then one day we came home from work and he was just sitting on the couch. And so we're like, oh, this was Rambo's day out. You know, what did he do? So we came up with this whole story about what he did on his day out. And then we realized that that's kind of like the second story. So we need to tell the first story of, you know, how we actually got him. And so we started work on that. We actually I'm five illustrations into it now. It's just been a lot of fun. He's the cutest little guy first time I've ever had a dog. Everything is new
0: to me, so it's just been a blast. Pets are a wonderful source of stories, just like kids. They do the darndest things, and little doggies are cute and easy to take care of. They don't take up a whole lot of space, and that's why we have a little doggie. What's your little doggy's name? Our little doggy's name is Olive, and <laughs> she is from Delaware Humane, and that's where we went to go look for a pet. You know, we saw which one Gravitated towards my son and wasn't overbearing or too scary, you know, and she's a little dog jumping on him So that's not too intimidating when your son's like at the time, you know, three four years old. (laughs) That's important Right, and uh, she's a little jack russell terrier Maltese mix. So the maltese is like the mellowing agent. So she's not too (laughs) high-strung But just before our call I came in dropping the kids off and she attacked my feet because she thinks it's fun And i'm like you can't do that and you're not in a mean way Not like she wants to this is her idea of play. This is fun, right? And I look at him I'm like, Olive, stop it. And her lip is tremoring. It's like twitching. She can't control herself. It's like a reflex. <laughs> <laughs> now, does Rambo play games? Does Rambo have a way of communicating, saying, I want to have fun now?
1: Yes. So he, um, he started licking his lips. Whenever you ask him a question, if, if the answer is yes, he'll lick is lips. <laughs> so I, Megan's just She caught it. and She's like, Rob, ask him if he wants to go outside. So I did it. And he just starts licking his lips. This is the greatest convention of all time <laughs> <laughs> so now, now, whenever we have a question, are you, do you want to go out? What does it need? We got a signal. We're great. <laughs> now, what kind of dog is Rambo? Rambo is a carrier mixed with something as well. We don't know exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, you can get genetic testing done for your dog. We did that. We got like the family tree. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's one messed up tree, man. <laughs>
1: I always said he's so calm and never barks, never does anything unless somebody comes to the door, and then he'll, you know, he'll go to town on that. But I was like, we have to like clone him so we can just always have this
0: awesome talk with him. And today, <laughs> so, it's possible.
1: I saw something about like celebrities. They're like, hey, I cloned my dog. It was fifty thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars. I, like, I love my dog, but it's not going to mortgage anything. So,
0: there's only one Rambo. All the experiences that make up Rambo, that's the Rambo you have. Exactly. <laughs> that's the special Rambo. I'd like to understand your art process better for Rambo and how you and your editor the Misses, collaborate together. So first the art, how you start digitally, and then you finish off pencil and ink. We'll sit down and discuss what
1: needs to be accomplished on each page. And then I'll just do digital roughs, just big bubble figures. Here's where his giant doggy head's going to be and once we finalize that that's the idea let's go with that as if i was going to do it digitally i draw it completely digital and then i print it out and i just transfer it to watercolor paper and then i ink it traditionally and watercolor traditionally The watercolor paper is like it doesn't take uh, erasing very well so i want to get all of the mistakes out of the way first so that I can just try and not screw up the
0: watercolor where <laughs> you're not screwing up anything else. Oh, I have a sponsor announcement. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is brought to you by Mike's Erasers. No, I'm kidding. they uh, kidding. They're, they're <laughs> signing everywhere because <laughs> you're saving tons <laughs> on erasers right now. <laughs> and you watercolor
1: it. I'm colorblind, so I've never really, like, as a kid learned anything about color. And then I went to a couple of comic book shows. I met Brian Stelfreeze, and he's like, you can do anything. Like,
0: okay, yeah, I can. And then all of a sudden, I'm learning how to watercolor. <laughs> now, see, Brian, look at the impact. What you said had on Robin. Now he's learned how to watercolor. Now, being colorblind, how did you learn how to watercolor? I'm ignorant of that, so please enlighten me.
1: I went to one of his watercolor classes, and it's just like, okay, here's your palette. Here's where it's set up. And so these colors mix to make this, and then you have the uh, color wheel. It's like, okay, you stay on this side of the color wheel to make everything work, and then you just dab them over here. The way he explains it, Brian is the most amazing teacher. If you sit down, if you've never picked up a pencil before, and you sit down with him, you will be painting by the end of the day. He's amazing. That's
0: great, and let's talk about your editor, The Misses. Now, you collaborate very well in your comic strip. How is she acting as editor for Rambo to the Rescue?
1: She's the writer as well. So she's come up with the story. We've talked everything over and then uh she came up with the script. I laid it all out in InDesign and it was like fifty something pages. I was like, Yeah, we need to edit this it's only looks like what? Thirty at the most? I'm like, yeah, we gotta take out a few <laughs> her day job is as an editor as well. So she's able to just slash and burn through that, no problem.
0: <laughs> wow, so she's a pro and she's writing too, so she's in the line of Roy Thomas, writer editor. That's great. Yes, yeah, she's my Roy Thomas, yes. <laughs> And you've worked quite a bit with cute animals. Uh, you've done children's <laughs> books focusing on cute animals. And what child or adult doesn't like cute animals, right? I mean, look at us. Let's talk about some exactly. of those children's books. There's a number of them you worked on with other writers. And I just picked out some of the ones with oh, really cool names. Wonder Bunny, Mind Your Own Beeswax, The Furry Fish, and The Adventures of Inspector Eduardo the Nutcase. Tell me about those books. How did you get hooked up? You don't have to go into detail on each and every single one, but how did you manage to land those gigs for children's books with all those different writers?
1: I worked for a publishing company that helps self-publishers, like authors who are going to self-publish, coordinate everything, get everything together. So every month I'll get a list of like, hey, here's three books that need covers, and here's a children's book that needs illustrations. That's my day job is doing um, illustrations for random just random stuff. Like right now, I'm doing something about an African uh, village, and I've got to do like three black and white illustrations for that. And then tomorrow, I you know work on 11 pages worth of a children's book about frogs. <laughs> it's fun to just jump from one to the next to the next.
0: Now, with these kinds of assignments coming through the publisher, how much interaction do you actually have with the writer?
1: Well, I have a lot through corrections. They'll send me a long list of like, oh, I wanted this person to have this color outfit, or maybe move
0: them this further. But as far as actual day-to-day conversations, not much. Have you had a chance to meet any of them in person?
1: No, not yet. But I will occasionally get uh, an email from my editor that says, oh, this person was on the news in their hometown and they held up a copy of your book Oh, wow! And so, and so yeah this person was in the local newspaper and and they were talking about the book you worked on so i get these articles from time to time
0: and links so it. it's it's very cool put those on your site like put links to those things <laughs> oh i definitely will yes yeah <laughs> i just send them to my mom <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh that goes on the fridge how nice <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, exactly it's Like after all these years
0: she's like oh i've seen you've drawn a frog okay good <laughs> You've improved a lot since you were three. (laughs) Now, besides your own comic, High Spot, you've worked on others, including a charity anthology contribution titled Mine, written by Irene Johnson, and you inked Wendell Cavalcanti's pencils on Bobby Nash and Michael Gordon's Strong Will. Now, tell me, besides money, (laughs) what interested you about those two projects? To get involved with them.
1: First of all, as a Mike Gordon project, he's an old friend of mine. Bobby Nash is also a fantastic friend, amazing writers. I got an email just like, hey, we have this penciler who's phenomenal. Would you be interested in working on it? And I looked at his pencil and I was like, yes, please. This would be great. <laughs> so it wound up being, oh, I think it was like 90 pages. And just every page was better than the page before. It was just so much fun to work on. It was so good that I just got to noodle I got to just, like, turn off and just, like, have fun. It was great. It, that was a, a really great project. So the other project, mine, was an uh, anthology charity book for Planned Parenthood. And, again, I got this from my friend Andrea, who was doing one of the stories that was supposed to be, like, a bookend at the beginning and end of the book, but it wound up just being in the middle because they had a lot of big-name contributors. And, uh, yeah, I emailed her and said, oh, I'd love to contribute to this. They said, yeah, there's a the story. <laughs>
0: that was a lot of fun to work on, too. Now, how can listeners get a peek at that book? How can they get a copy of mine? Um, I know it's on Comixology,
1: and I believe you can get it through Comic Mix, but I'm not exactly sure. Because it was a Kickstarter, I'm not sure where it is right now. I'm 99% sure Comicsology.
0: Of course, if it is, I will have a link to that in the show notes. How about Strong Will? Where can folks check that out? That is still in production, actually. So, uh, not yet. <laughs> Coming soon. Coming soon, yes. Do you have an estimated date for that? No, I actually have, have to email Mike to find out about that. No, no, <laughs> I have anything yet. We won't overcommit then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You do all kinds of artwork, and we have just touched upon a bit of it. And you've even won the 2018 image-winning campaign for the Library Foundation of Sarasota County. What did you do for
1: them? That was a fun one. They, uh, um, I work with an ad agency here, and they said, oh, we have this idea for the library, superheroes. So we thought of you. <laughs> so it's like, thanks, that works well. So um, came up with a couple of designs of uh, just like generic superheroes. And it was um, Be the Hero was the ad campaign. And so we just popped heroes on everything, just these couple of designs. Uh, they submitted it for this image Awards ceremony here in Florida. We won, so cool.
0: <laughs> how did you become so interested in art as a career? I was always drawing stuff as a kid. I had no idea do it as a career until I saw it back in the Batman movie, the first one, the Michael Keaton one.
1: And then a friend of mine said, I have a comic book version of that. And I will never forget. My response to that was the dumbest thing I've ever said. I said, Oh, they make atomic books about Batman, too? We all start somewhere, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I've since said many dumber things, but that was the first really dumb thing that I remember. Saying. So I opened that up, flipped through it, and there's that last page where Batman's going across the city, and it's just this giant splash page. And I was like, All right. Jerry Ordway is my hero.
0: So to go down that path, what kind of education and or training did you undertake?
1: Well, I went to
0: the Kubrick School for just
1: a couple of months and then couldn't afford it. So I had to drop out and uh, later went back and got a graphic design degree and didn't really do much of anything with that until I moved to Florida and had a just a terrible day job doing uh, technical illustrations. And so I was still working on comic book samples. And I brought it to Megacon, the convention here in Orlando. And Dick Giordano was there. And he's like, oh my God, I know that name from every comic book I ever bought. This is awesome. And so I went up to him and showed him my work. And he looked up at me and said, okay, well, this doesn't suck. Okay, are you local? And I said, yeah, I live in Jacksonville or whatever. And so he's like, oh, well, I live in Palm Coast. Now we're south. Do new stuff and bring it to my house. Said, okay, cool. I ran home. Finished up some pages that were on my desk, brought them down to him like a week later. And he said, yeah, no, these still don't suck. All right, here's the Phantom. And he hands me a stack of pages that he was working on for Egmont Publishing. And he said, here you go, do the backgrounds. Do whatever you're comfortable with. Whatever you're not comfortable with, just leave it alone. I'll show you how to do it. And whatever you F up, I can fix. <laughs> so I struggled for years to try and get in. And then I was like, oh, wow, I'm doing this. That advice at the end was so liberating. It's like, it doesn't matter what I do. He can fix it. And so I did the pages. I brought him back, and we went over every page. And that was my real education. I started working with him, and I worked with him for seven, eight years. And just everything I did was in the studio with him. I handed over to him, and he'd say, this is fantastic, but this is terrible. (laughs) And then hopefully the terrible stuff kind of like weaned itself
0: out. You are so fortunate to have hooked up with him. As a mentor and I was a teacher. I so lucky. Yeah, very, very lucky. Let me back up. When you met him and showed him your work, did he really say this doesn't suck? Yes. Yeah. That's my goal. I want my stuff <laughs> not to suck. That's all I want. It doesn't have to be phenomenal. Just, hey, it's not that doesn't suck. All, all right. right. I, Accomplished. The bar is very low. It's very easy to clear. <laughs> and that's all I'm asking <laughs> As one who has been blessed in the art world with your education, your training, and the opportunities that you've had, what advice would you give to people wanting to enter art as a career? What should they do? Draw every day, all the time, whenever you can. But
1: whenever you get a chance to show your work to other artists, do it. Because every single one of us has this mindset of, like, the opportunity that I got, it it was paying it forward to me. And now I have to pay it forward to other people. And so anytime that I get an opportunity to do a portfolio review or have somebody come and hang out for a day at the studio or anything, I bend over backwards to try and, like, help the next generation of people. And I'm one of many that does the same thing. Again, Brian Stelfridge does it all the time. If you go to a convention and see him, again, it's a life-changing experience to show him your work. And he's, again, one of hundreds that will do the exact same thing. You learn so much more from seeing people who are doing it tell you, oh, this is how you need to do it. Or this is great, but try it like this. That is my best advice is is show your work to other artists. They will blow your mind.
0: Since you have experienced the impact that a professional can have on you, not only to motivate you, but to help you get better and really take a keen interest in your skills. You've taken that to heart and pass it on to others also, and I think that's really special and important.
1: It's just the tradition. Raymond had assistants, and he taught them and then their assistants, and it's, you can find, like, the lineage of certain artists and where they came from. Like, Bob Layton worked with Wally Wood. It's really interesting, and every single one of them has the same pay-it-forward attitude, because they would not have gotten where they are if that one artist hadn't given them a break or gave them some advice. It's
0: A really good group of people,
1: basically.
0: (laughs) Let's talk about High Spot, and I'll just give the audience a quick overview of what it's about. Ever since the Cliffhanger films as a kid, Kate Carter has had two loves, archaeology and action-adventure movies about archaeologists. Torn between the two, she eventually chose to pursue a career in Hollywood as a stuntwoman, but she often dreamed about what might have been Mark Wade said about Rob's book, it's a great, strong lead character and a compelling story. You can't ask for more than that. And I don't think you can ask for more than that than to have Mark Wade say, this is a great book. <laughs> yes. I, again, very lucky. Did you meet him and show that to him or did he like pick up on it and pass it along or how'd that happen? I've known Mark for a while when he worked at DC. He was Dick Rodano's assistant as an
1: editor so we kind of commiserated over that so I started showing him my stuff and I asked him if he wouldn't mind doing a, a poll quote for, for the book that's more pressure Now I have to do well
0: <laughs> now it's a cool story and here's some more about it and why it's so cool and there's a lot of elements about this I really dig a movie studio plans to make this guy Dennis a big star and promoting him as a Teddy Roosevelt type And having him lead an archaeological dig to find Alexander the Great's remains. Now, Kate is stunt doubling for starlet Emily O'Neill, and she wants to go. She can work with one of her heroes, the world-famous archaeologist Jerry Carter. So, Jerry is going to work with Dennis to make him sound knowledgeable. He's kind of self-absorbed. He's going to make him knowledgeable about Alexander the Great, if Dennis can pay attention long enough. You've worked some very famous names in history into the story and you must have a real interest in them. And you've also worked in, uh, I would say, homages to other people in show business. I noticed some of the likenesses in there. (laughs) Let's talk about our hero first, Kate Carter, as a stunt person. Now, that's an interesting approach to take. A stunt person is the hero. Do you have an interest in stunt people, the stunt profession? Do you have any, any that you're a fan of?
1: You know, the funny thing is, when I started working on this, I thought back to, like, childhood inspirations and everything, and I remembered that as a kid, really little. I did want to be a stunt person. Now I'm itty bitty. I'm like five, seven. So there's no way I'm going to double for anybody. And uh, now I'm old. So everything hurts. Ain't going to happen. <laughs> but at the time I was like, all right, this will be great. So I used to watch all the documentaries and like after movies, the molds of DHS at the time. So after the movie, um, they would have these little featurettes about the stunts and everything. So I have to learn about Um, you know, like Dar Robinson working on Lethal Weapon and stuff like that. It was really cool, and it never really left me. I also used to watch the show The Fall Guy. I'm pulling from all of that when I do this one.
0: (laughs) Now, we have some very important historical figures in this story. Tell me why you referenced Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, My mom's family's from Oyster Bay, so So we grew up with, like, Uncle Teddy down the street,
1: (laughs) and
0: so we
1: spent a lot of time at Sagamore hill and just have always had like teddy roosevelt stuff around knowledge around and you know you would drive down the street and there's the statue and my mom at one point when they were kids were growing up they moved in an apartment that was above what used to be his like they called it the summer white house it's now a bookshop and they had a kid who used to ride his bike up the street to Sagamore hill to bring him notes and come on back down so yeah so it's just teddy roosevelt was always kind of like around growing up and idolize them for that and you know as you get older and you learn more it's like okay yeah you really want it. it's kind of like this adventure type not exactly indiana jones but
0: something along those lines in real life that's very cool and you also have uh, alexander the great as one of the focuses of the story finding his remains which i like adding that little historical feature in there too now why alexander the great did you have fascination with that uh historical figure as well
1: yeah i did and um Again, watching documentaries, I remember seeing one, again, as a kid, watched one that said, you know, we don't know where his remains are. And it always stuck in the back of my head. And his campaigns would take over areas, naturally. But then he would assimilate people's um, local customs and everything so that they didn't feel like they were necessarily conquered, even though they were. But they would become part of his empire. And so he would have local rulers, he would keep their holidays, he would keep their special places and other uh, religious places. And so he'd keep all these things in place to endear himself to the local people. And so it's like, all right, well, if there's a, a way to like make this character, Dennis, endear himself to people all over the world, maybe finding the remains of Alexander the Great would be a good way to do it, because he endeared himself to all these people and tie it to another childhood idol of, of St. Roosevelt that covers the American portion of this. make him like a global, globetrotting kind
0: of guy. So you have those two characters, those two individuals in history, beautifully encapsulated in the story, a little kind of uh, cliff note on their life and what they did. That's a really nice piece of the book. And another nice piece, in issue two, you have penciled pages... By Dick Giordano. How did you manage to get those in the book?
1: Like I said, I was lucky enough to work with him for a long time, and I had this story, like just like a nugget of a story, and I knew eventually I wanted to do a uh, biography of Alexander the Great. So it's like, all right, let's just do like a like an encapsulated six-eight uh, story. And so I spoke to him about it, and I had a friend that was working on a different comic with named Gary Parvin. And so we talked it over and he wound up actually plotting those pages originally. And then we did some roughs over it and wound up penciling it. And I inked it back then and it sucks. So <laughs> so i was very glad to get another shot at it because it's, it's a thousand times better. It's funny being trained
0: by Dick and being terrible at traditional linking, but, you know, much better at digital linking. So we have high spot number two which has those pages in it coming up as a Kickstarter. Tell me when we can expect the Kickstarter and what reward levels we can see in that.
1: Uh, it's scheduled to start on March 4th, and so just a couple of weeks from when we're recording this. It's gonna run for a month, so we got some time. And I'm also in the middle of moving. So the rewards for this, it's kind of like it's the book or maybe I'll just, uh, you know, like there's some uh, commission levels afterward. <laughs> Hopefully the book itself is cool enough that people will want to pick it up. But um, if you want original art, there's also you know options for that, which I'll do once we settle again.
0: (laughs) You're moving, so do you need a bigger place? Uh, Is it just location you're looking for, someplace better, or what's the reason for the move? We're moving from Florida to
1: Pittsburgh. We're moving for location because I grew up there, I love it, and we're closer to my mom, who's in New York. With my mom, my sister both had kind of like health issues lately, so it's like, all right, well. I want to move to New York, close enough for comfort, but far enough for uh, security or something like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, when folks hear this podcast, the Kickstarter will be in progress. So in the notes for the show, again, we'll have a link to the Kickstarter where they can see all the rewards. And of course, I'll mention those in introduction so they'll hear all that. Thank you so much. So now we're going to go to the segment I call Kicking Back with the Creator. And it took me like months to come up with a name for this thing instead of fun questions. But I settled on Kicking Back with the Creator that little bit of alliteration there like Stanley would use. And they're just fun questions to learn more about you as a person, not necessarily as an artist, but if that's part of it, that's cool too. So when you're resting and relaxing, what do you like to do? Watch Bake Off?
1: Literally, I watch Bake Off. That's
0: it. <laughs> like, you binge on that stuff.
1: <laughs> Constantly. It is my go-to. It just, it's background noise. It's entertaining. It is the like sweetest. It's the antithesis of every American, like, competition show because all the people like help each other we found bake off somehow and just that it's the only thing that's on at our house most of the time (laughs) you would think after watching it for like years and years i would know how to bake it's now no but it's my wife is a baker she's good but me I, i just i just enjoy the interactions between people and the two hosts are just lovely and then i we started like googling them to see what other shows they were on And from that, we found, like, this show called Cat's Countdown, which is like their version of Jeopardy over there. But it's so much more difficult. (laughs) And it's funny to watch a bunch of comedians try to do it. We wound up just going down this rabbit hole
0: of British television. Every night ends with
1: Escape to the Country because it's very calming and you can go to sleep to that.
0: (laughs) I tell you, it is so important to have a good host or hosts on a television show, radio show, what have you, because the travel shows that I like, the cooking shows, like, for example, uh, Alton Brown's Good Eats, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. if it's interesting and they make it interesting, you know, you're hooked in. It's not just, I want to present to you a recipe. I want to cook something. That can be snooze. Now, has your wife ever tried anything that they did on uh, the Bake Off show? Quite a few things, yeah. She was a baker before the show started, so she has, like, all the tricks
1: and everything. She's done some stuff that's been... (laughs) It's
0: been fun. <laughs> yeah, my wife will do that too. She'll watch cooking shows. And it's for her, it's like the background noise. It's kind of like the light television to kind of relax with. And if it's like a really uh, heavy calorie, sugary, or fatty dish, she'll find ways to modify it to make it. Taste really good but it's lower in calories so she likes to kind of play with them a little bit and get the feel and the spirit of something from say the southwest or asian food but she'll mess around with it a little bit and she's she's pretty clever with it she's really good at it well, that's awesome i guess that master's in biology helped <laughs> yeah exactly it's like i know this is going to work just trust me <laughs> now think back to a favorite birthday of yours i should say a birthday that stands out in your mind doesn't have to be the best ever, but just something about that one you remember.
1: <laughs> it was one when I was a kid. We were so poor that we had some friends over for a birthday party and we wanted to play baseball. I had lost the one baseball that I had, so I actually had to go in my room and take like three or four pairs of socks and knot them up as tight as I possibly could and then tape them. And we am like, all right, we'll play with this. <laughs> It didn't (laughs) work.
0: That's a softball. Yeah. I tried. (laughs) (laughs) If you think back to like middle school age, teenager, 12, 14, somewhere in there, what posters and or pictures did you have on the bedroom wall?
1: For me, it was the Superman poster that Jerry Ordway did where he's pushing over a tent from World War II. It was my theory. still is. We did a series for Image Called Wild Star. I had a big poster of that. Yes, it, I remember that. And uh, yeah, Oh, Dodge Stealth. The 1992 Dodge Stealth, when they first came out with that car. I was spending the summer at my grandmother's house. There was a Dodge dealership. It wasn't necessarily close, but it was walking distance. So I would walk all the way up to this thing, look in the window at this car, and turn around and walk home. And I, I didn't feel <laughs> like a week. <laughs> and then finally, you know, I tell him I'm looking in the window and the salesman like waves me in. And he's like, I've seen you come up, you know, all the time to come look at this car here. And he hands me a poster of the car. He says, "How oh, cool thing. So I walk home with the poster put it up on the wall and I was like, hey, I don't have to watch it. So
0: that was really nice of him.
1: <laughs> that was awesome. I was like, I wish I could afford the car. I would have bought it from him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, just just dreaming looking at that car. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. it's great. <laughs> and I did eventually wind up getting that car. But I had it for, like, a week, and then the transmission
0: died. Oh, no. Was it a used one? Oh, no, it was used. It was, it okay. was Yes. Oh. <laughs> Your dreams were realized uh, and then crushed. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: As I was drifting down the hill with no gears, I was like, well, that's just a perfect uh, analogy
0: for my life. <laughs> have a very nice go-kart now. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's yeah. good on
0: fuel. Put holes in the floor and do the Flintstones. <laughs> yeah. Here's a hypothetical for you. You're stuck on a deserted island. What's the one book you want to have with you for pleasure? This is not a survival guide, but any book or <laughs> graphic novel, trade paperback, a series of books that are related that you want to read for fun to pass the time.
1: Well, it's funny. Actually, um, the other day I was just touching around and saw that a lot of the Edgar Rice Burroughs stuff is now in the public domain. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to do my own version of A Princess of Mars. So um, I've been working on the cover. That would be it, the Burroughs stuff. That's great. I do
0: like his stuff. You know, I didn't read it when I was younger, but I read it when I was older, when I was started reading the comic books. And then I said, well, let me go back to the source and read Tarzan and read Princess of Mars. And it was really good stuff. And I read about him. And what was interesting was people were putting out these dime novel and cheap pulp stories. And he didn't think they were that great, but he's like, I can do that. And he did. He became very famous for it. And, it, you know, that first Tarzan book, the description of Tarzan and how he grows up in the jungle. I was like, has he been to the jungle? This is really good. You know, so and Princess of Mars, of course, John Carter, one of my favorites. So uh, that's a very good choice. Thank
1: you. Yeah, I've, I've never read it as a child either. And then
0: Al Williamson became one of my heroes. I mm. saw him at a, at a show
1: and I said, what are you working on? He says, well, I'm going to do this thing of John Carter of Mars for Dark Horse. I was like, oh, OK, cool. And so I ran home, and I was like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> so I figured, I found out, and I was like, started reading, and that blew my mind.
0: You meet a lot of really cool people.
1: <laughs> I've gotten very lucky. Dick used to go to a ton of comic conventions, and I would go with him as his assistant. And he would just be like, "Okay, here's Terry Austin, here's you know Mark Wolfen, barbecue soul, barbecue. Oh my god, barbecue soul's awesome. If you ever get a chance to talk to her, she's absolutely lovely." But yeah, we got to meet everybody. It was very, very cool.
0: Another hypothetical. They said, Rob. We're going to make an action figure of you, or maybe it is a reward level for the Kickstarter. <laughs> let's, let's just let's just fantasize now. What would be your accessory with that action figure? <laughs> um, probably just a palette, artist palette. <laughs> I wrote down whip, like Indiana Jones, yeah. maybe, but all right, the palette.
1: Oh no, the little action figure of my dog. Yeah, no, have a rainbow in there. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. People like to put their pets in there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> now, when you're resting and relaxing you're watching Bake Off or whatever, what is your beverage of choice? I love a good root beer.
1: (laughs) I love root beer. I don't drink soda often, but then whenever we go on a trip or whatever, if there's a root beer that I have not tried, I have to get it. And so my wife, for my birthday this past year, she got me a sampler pack from a root beer subscription service. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) It was so awesome. They sent out like six root beers that I've never had before, one of which was called bear whiz and i just all right that's my favorite of all time now bear whiz root
0: beer this is awesome yeah i like to have the occasional diet a and w root beer but nothing fancy really there's one that was like oh i don't know not your father's root beer or something and that's alcohol you know that's bam oh yeah but it tastes like root beer so be careful
1: the root beer one is good but the not your father's cream soda uh-huh oh that'll get you in trouble yeah <laughs>
0: When I rest and relax, you know, I like wine. I like whiskey, bourbon. I like too much, actually, now that I think about it. But (laughs) I like IPA, and I go to the beer store, and my son will be like, which one can I have? I'm like, none of them. You can have a root beer. He says, what's that? I said, I'll show you sometime. But That's more your speed, man. (laughs) When you were struggling, working your way, being an artist, graphic designer, what was the oddest job you ever had? I was
1: living in New York at my mom's place, and I was working in a bowling alley. And while I was working at the bowling alley, one of the customers used to do and seltzer, you know, like the the clowns squirt each other with the big glass bottles. He used to do seltzer delivery. So I started working with him doing seltzer deliveries. And then in the winter, we would cut firewood and (laughs) and deliver firewood. So I worked in the bowling alley delivering firewood and seltzer. That kind of explains it all. (laughs) I wound up having, like, the most old-fashioned jobs you could possibly imagine.
0: You know, you can say, you know, back when I was a kid, I used to deliver seltzer and blocks of ice <laughs> and you know, all that stuff. Yes, exactly. Now, in your humble opinion, what is the best action movie or adventure film ever made? You no, know, maybe others may not think so, but you like it. It's something that speaks to you. It has a place in your heart. What was that film?
1: Well, definitely Batman. The
0: first Batman. It still just takes me back from 10 years old just completely blown away
1: by everything that was happening. But also like with the weapon too. Anytime that's on, you got me sitting still for like two hours. It's good.
0: <laughs> it's one of those things that comes on, if it's on TV, you just stop and you finish watching it.
1: Exactly. It doesn't matter where you're picking it up because you have it memorized anyway. Just sit on down and <laughs> <laughs> now we're in twenty
0: nineteen. What do you have? For conventions coming up this year. Where can we see you? The only
1: thing that I have lined up is uh, there's a show in Pittsburgh, which will now be my local show, and that's in May, May eleventh and twelfth, called the Three Rivers Talk. So I'm definitely doing that. Maybe going back down to Heroes depends on what the finances are with the move and maybe going back to TerrificCon in Connecticut, which was awesome. I did that for the first time last year, and it was it's just a blast.
0: I've heard a lot of good things about it. How does it differ from, say, HeroesCon? I've been to HeroesCon. Of course, I met you there. So what's a little different about TerrificCon? What do you like about it so much?
1: It's very similar to HeroesCon. It was very artist-centric, but there were also still a lot of costumes that came through. I mean, it was just like really fun. It was like a cozy show makes sense it's just it was nice everybody who came to the show was really cool all of the guests were fantastic people who i hadn't seen in a hundred years would walk by and look up at my name and then look at my face oh yeah <laughs>
0: yeah it's good it's like a homecoming i guess if it's kind of cozy and creator-centric and friendly then the creators are not stressed so they're happier yeah. everybody's happy it kind of you know you get back what you put out low stress everyone's having a good experience then everyone's happy.
1: That's how I describe Heroes Con to people who haven't been. I was like, Heroes Con is like a family reunion, but it's a family you actually want to see. It's <laughs> fantastic.
0: Yeah, I do love that one a lot. That one, as I always say on the show, and I don't do a lot of cons, but Baltimore and Heroes it's the same kind of idea in terms of the size and the friendliness, and uh, Terrific Con sounds like another terrific one that I'd want to check out someday. That's the best thing about it, man, is seeing people when you go to cons. I can't say that enough. I like Getting comics... Love looking for those back issues and trying to find, you know, and having a chance to look at some new dealers. But I love meeting the people there, meeting new ones and meeting old ones I've met at previous cons. It's just great. I don't mean the people are old, but I mean, you know, old friends. <laughs> Maybe oh, they I'm are. <laughs> some of them are.
1: <laughs> Can't sugarcoat it. It's immoral.
0: <laughs> hey, you know, it beats the alternative.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, Rob, it's been a pleasure and wish you the best of luck on the Kickstarter for High Spot issue number two. I uh, just want to clarify that during that Kickstarter, you'll probably have a way to get high spot number one or maybe some bundles so you can get one and two. Yes, definitely.
1: Yeah. So if you miss the first one, we got a whole bunch of catch up options for you.
0: Excellent. Very good. Rob, thanks so much for being on Creator Talks.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute blast, man.
0: So if you're interested, support Rob if you can by backing his Kickstarter for High Spot number 2 by April 3rd. And if you do, Rob has a special offer just for my listeners. If you back Rob's Kickstarter and get a physical reward, he will do a free 6 by 9 head sketch or bus sketch of any character you would like if you mention our interview. Now normally a 6 by 9 sketch backer reward is $40, but you can get one free if you get the $5, $10, or $15 book option. And if you do order any of the sketch options anyway, you will now get two sketches. So please keep this special offer and incentive in mind. Coming up later this week, on Thursday, my regularly scheduled podcast day, my guest is Polly Schmidt. He worked with writer Chris Miskovich on Thomas Alsop, which was published by Boom Studios in 2014, called by USA Today the miniseries of the year. Well, Polly has a new comic series coming up through Lion Forge Entertainment, Stiletto, number one, Officer Down. It comes out March 27th. We will talk about a previous book he did, Devil's Concubine, and how characters in that book wind up in Officer Down. What it's like working in a studio and now being out of the studio. What it's like working from home. I learn a little more about life in Copenhagen and things I should check out. Plus, we talk about some Danish films that might be of interest if you're into film noir. So, just to cover all the usuals, this show is available every Thursday. Please subscribe and don't miss a single episode. It's available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon Alexa-enabled devices, and now it's on Spotify. If you like what you hear, please rate and review on iTunes. Even a star rating goes a long way to help the show. And please back any other shows through a rating on iTunes that you also like to listen to. Now, I know some folks have had trouble trying to leave a review for a podcast using the Apple Podcast app if they already have it added to their podcasts. What you do is just search for Creator Talks or your favorite podcast. It'll bring it up in the podcast app. And if you scroll down you will see where you can leave a star rating or a written review. I actually tweeted a YouTube video that someone created of how you can go about doing this because there have been a lot of questions about it. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, spending a few moments with me out of your busy week, and I hope you enjoy reading your account books that you received this week and other books that you're reading as well. Please share what you're reading and what you like with me on social media at Creator Talks Pod. That's it for now. Until next time.